Hey folks, before we get started, I wanted to tell you about the Consumer VC Summit. The Consumer VC Summit is a three-day virtual event that is focused on e-commerce, retail, and innovation. This is all happening February 23rd through 25th, 2021. Mark Nathan and I have really poured our souls into it. During the day is a mix of talks and panel discussions with some incredible founders and investors that focus on these sectors. In the evenings, we're going to be throwing networking events, and if you're a founder, you'll also have access to mentoring sessions, which means you'll meet three investors or industry professionals for feedback about your business. All of our talks and panels will also be available for replay with a ticket. Please check out summit.theconsumervc.com and enter ConsumerVC for a 20% discount. This is also located in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. Now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital pertaining to consumer-facing startups. That's both consumer technology and physical goods. We're interested in learning what the world's leading VCs look for in founders and opportunities, as well as learning from venture-backed B2C founders who have grown their businesses to incredible heights. Our guest today is Taylor Neiman, founder of Toucan. Toucan is a free Chrome extension that helps you learn a language without even trying. I must say, it's pretty cool. I've been using it for the past few months to try to learn Spanish and proud to say that the Consumer VC owns the word episode on the platform. We discuss the opportunity in browser Chrome extension businesses, the insight that she had when founding Toucan and all of her different monetization avenues, which I must say are pretty amazing and wide ranging. Without further ado, here's Taylor. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. So well, all things considering here in COVID. So Taylor, talk to me. Let's like start from the beginning. What initially attracted you to technology? So right from the beginning, basically always had so many different ideas in my head. And I didn't really realize that I could build any of these ideas into existence until I stumbled upon engineering and tech in general. And that's really where my love for technology started. Like these ideas in my brain could actually be built, which I found fairly magical to be able to do that. That's awesome. And I think as we were talking before, something that really inspired me is, you know, when someone has an idea and it's involving technology, I think the natural assumption or the natural thing to do is to go out and find maybe someone who's a technologist or someone that actually can code. But you figured it out. You were like, all right, uh, you know, I'm really interested in technology and interested in coding. I would say for folks that are interested in founding companies, don't know where to start, how should they tackle this, like having like technical skills? Yes. So I decided to teach myself how to code. And all I did was go on YouTube, who in my opinion is probably the best teacher out there, looked up as many videos that I could get my hands on. And it's obviously completely for free too. And then I just started coding and building and I pushed out my first iPhone app within four weeks. 
That's amazing. And so then of course you become um, more involved in technology. You become like an early employee at Headspace. What were your learnings there just working for starting from really saw like a company grow from the beginning in technology? And what were some of your learnings from that experience? Yeah, that was an amazing experience. Probably one of my favorite jobs thus far in general, because it was a playground for us to be able to learn what works, what doesn't. What I've really built my career off of is distribution and really organic distribution. Like how do we scale these high growth tech companies without paid acquisition, which is now music to a lot of people's ears, especially investors. But it's what I did within Headspace. Like looking what partnerships, where could we use to scale on the backs of these iconic giants and really trying to figure out how a little company at the time and also a meditation app, which wasn't part of culture quite yet, could partner with the giants of the Spotify's or the Nike's or the Delta Airlines of the world and really like figured out how to do that from scratch. And it's been a skill set that I've been able to co- like bring with me to every single job, as well as bring with me to Toucan as we're scaling this company. No, I love that. I just also saw that they recently announced what John Legend now is. They're doing like a partnership with him. So that's phenomenal. That's amazing. And I think what's interesting too about Headspace and the partnerships they've been able to bring on is if you look at meditation when it started, like it was something that people didn't think was for them and it wasn't very approachable. They might've thought it was for yoga lovers, right? And so with these big companies and brands that are very iconic, it gives people permission to go try it, to go be part of culture. And like John Legend, for instance, like that gives people the permission to go try Headspace, download it, use it. And also like meditation might be for everyone, not just for a specific segment of people. Yeah. And I think it, to me, it also opens it up as well. It's something I've been thinking about for a bit is, you know, at the end of the day, like what meditation is as well is that it's audio, right? It's that connection. And I think, especially for a lot of these different companies, it really opens up into like the extent of audio and that connection that you can actually have. In the meditation side, it's more on the personal care side of things. But, you know, at the same time, you could certainly consider music for personal care too. So I love what Headspace and of course, what some of the other applications out there has really opened up in terms of what audio can really do for you. That's really neat. For sure. It's been really interesting. I mean, like meditation is such an important skill and now it's brought to the masses through iPhone. Like, right. It used to be a tradition for thousands of years that existed that's been passed down by generations. And now it's been able to make its way to the West with the advent of iPhone and mobile apps and really like packaging in a way that like all of us could give it a try. Exactly. Make it really accessible, not only accessible, you know, on the phone in your pocket, but also just accessible in terms of you know, making the content actually relatable to you, which I think is great. So you had this amazing job at Headspace. Why did you decide to take the leap and start Tucon and start your own company? Yep. So I've actually jumped from a few different companies before landing on Tucan, but all of my friends and family thought I was absolutely insane to be doing that. And probably Rich, the co-founder of Headspace was like so supportive, but probably had that inkling in his head too. Like why Taylor? We're growing an amazing company here. But I always wanted to build something myself. And this is the fourth time I built something. And I have three failures under my belt now, which is almost a rite of passage, right? But each of those failures got me closer to building Toucan and definitely had a lot of learnings along the way to set us up for success 
to now have this amazing vision, awesome team, and also the first time we're venture backed. So first of all, that's, I mean, congratulations just on all your success. And I think it's also something that I've been thinking about recently is I had on an investor, Jordan Odinsky, and what he was saying, how what's different, he spent five years in Israel and now he's investing in the US. And he said that, you know, in Israel, part of the culture difference that he finds is in Israel, they really celebrate the failures and really like kind of almost emphasize the failures in a funny way. In the US, we aren't, you know, doing that as much. I was just curious about when you think about, you know, the other three companies you started, what were some of the learnings that really impacted you and really helped you to grow Toucan? Yep. So the first one, I was non-technical and I recruited a complete stranger to be my co-founder CTO. So as you can imagine, that ended miserably. And that's one of the reasons why I taught myself how to code. So I could build any idea that I had and be dangerous enough to recruit way smarter people than me to be that engineering product side. Also was a solo founder at one point for one of my ventures and really realized that there is so much to do as a founder that if you can have someone that really fills and complements your skill set, that sets you up even better for success, right? That next time around. And then the third time, really, it was me and one of my current co-founders. We went out to raise capital. We pitched probably close to 200 investors all of them said, we absolutely hate your idea and tore it apart, but they loved us as a team. And that was really an opportunity for us to start building those relationships probably two years before we even needed to go out to raise capital for Toucan. First of all, you're very direct in terms of your learnings, which I really appreciate it. It's interesting that you say about how you started a company as a solo founder. I've had a couple other investors on that say they think around like people in general, 80% should co-found a company and probably 20% should found it solo. Like they have in terms of maybe just the right mind for it, if that makes sense. And now that there's of course any right way to skin a cat or right way to do any of this, right? So that's really interesting how you're able to learn that. That's really, really cool. And I think also as your people are thinking through like who to bring on as co-founders, like the two co-founders that I have today, like Brandon Dietz on the product side and Sean Mayer on the engineering side, they're both insanely talented, but we've also worked together in the best consumer tech companies in Los Angeles the past eight years. So we've seen each other in these high stress, massive, fast growth companies, but also like very much respect each other's skill set. And I think that laid a really great foundation when we were going out to start build Toucan of like mutual respect, but we've also like been there with each other through these crazy situations already. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So how long has a Toucan been around for? Is that two years now? Is that right? No, so only a little more than 12 months now. Oh my goodness. Amazing. The amount of growth that you're doing is incredible. So I know you're still, you know, young and scrappy. And I know that one of your main skills you learned when you were at Headspace was partnerships and really thinking about partnerships that leads to organic growth, growth through partnerships. How are you able to apply that learning to Toucan? Yes, so many different ways. But basically what I did when we started was look at our product and then look at all the different potential partnership verticals we could have, whether that's within the product itself or outside of the product and really like what value we could potentially provide to other people. So first off was Google because we are in the Google Chrome store, but they have also a Google education team and also a Google Chromebooks team. And I don't think people really realize how prevalent Chromebooks are now 
now in K-12 and university. Like I never had a Chromebook in school, but now they're basically in every school imaginable. And with Toucan there, we're now making this hardware more valuable. And so that's been a very interesting, like big partnership vertical with Google. But then with our product itself, we recently launched this concept called Own the Word. And we thought, what better way to give our users a piece of the dictionary, but also feel ownership over the product by allowing them to own words or phrases that they're seeing as they're using Toucan. And when you think of this from a partnership perspective, like we can partner with record labels for all their musicians and artists to own words, film studios in release of upcoming movies, even TikTok influencers all the way down to us and our users. And once someone purchases a word, we give them a unique URL that then they can share to their audience that they own this word, have the social capital to share it out. And then we get even more eyeballs back into Toucan because of it. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I mean, what I love about this story as well is it seems like Toucan probably wouldn't exist without that partnership with Google in terms of you being on the plugin. So it really, in terms of your beginning, it almost begun as a partnership. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So I think the Chrome Web Store is a massive distribution channel and completely overlooked and untapped just as a go-to-market product aspect. Like, there is so much opportunity there and we have yet to see all the amazing use cases that could even exist. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So like, take us a little bit behind the scenes in terms of how you're thinking about the business models that you're currently using and like the monetization strategy that you're currently employing. Yes, so just mentioned a little bit about Own the Word. We're really using it as a growth vector right now, but people are transacting and buying words. But you can envision this at a future date, like going even more on the monetization side. Like, what does it look like if people start bidding for words? But also, it's essentially a Google AdWords layered on top of every single domain for every single word imaginable. So that can get pretty lucrative at some point. But we also do have a freemium subscription within Toucan. You really have to dig right now to find it. But people are still transacting because they want more, which for us is a really good sign. And we're in the midst of rejiggering that where that paywall sits and we'll mostly have some of our premium exercises deeper mini games behind that paywall that's amazing just thinking about if you own the word of course which makes total sense you're then going to see that word across you know every browser every every bit of information when that word appears okay so if i when i do have a Tucon account and i love the product are there different levels for folks like i'm trying to learn spanish i've been trying to learn spanish for the past like 20 years you know and i fail miserably my mom always has a joke that i went to spain for six weeks and i went there knowing the word hola and came back learning the word adios and that was it so i'm always trying to learn spanish i'm terrible with language yeah i mean i'm kind of just curious if there's like different like levels just like how that process works yes and mike you're not alone for sure so i took nine years of spanish but really all i remember is donde esta la biblioteca which is Spanish 101 for so many of us. But yes, what's cool about Toucan is we can start to detect where you are as a learner and then adjust accordingly. So what will happen is you'll first start getting single words translated in line and words on themselves are extremely complicated. For instance, the word orange could mean a color or a fruit. And with 100% confidence level, our tech is starting to understand, okay, which one within context is it actually that? 
But then we can also start to see, okay, we're showing you the word coffee. You've seen it about 50 to 100 times, which indicates to us we have seared it into your long-term memory, even just through all this input. And now we can start to show you two words together, which are called collocations. So hot coffee and cold coffees. So we can start to teach you feminine, masculine, the genderization of words, also pluralization. And then we'll start to layer on like bigger phrases, which we can start to help you learn about grammar and sentence structure. And that's even before we dive into some of our deeper exercises, our mini games. This is all just input through those inline translations. That's awesome. So what needs to happen in order to trigger the more advanced levels? Is that me not as much clicking onto the actual to learn what the definition is of Primero, for example, that just came up this morning? No. So it is actually just the pure input, the pure amount of times that you've been seeing it on screen. And why that's important to us is because the efficacy side of second language acquisition. Really, all of the pedagogy says, all you need to do is read, 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 listen, listen, listen. That's why if you get handed a Harry Potter book in Spanish or watch Friends in French, you start to understand everything without even speaking a lick of the language because our brains naturally soak up everything. So fascinating. And I know that you've also approached education schools about your product. And so what's been the reaction just from teachers, especially during you know these times of COVID? Yep. They've been loving Toucan. The amount of inbound interest from teachers has been incredible and actually fairly humbling in that they've been introducing us to their students. Also, parents have been using Toucan to then get it onto their kids' Chromebooks as well because it's a natural accelerator. And for us, we want to partner with even just textbook companies or mobile apps or tutor marketplaces because whatever students are already doing, that's amazing. They should keep doing it. And now Toucan can accelerate that learning as they're browsing. Amazing. It's amazing. And I remember you mentioned the gamification. I'd love to learn more about like your vision and in terms of how to get folks like me who are, you know, terrible at language and how to get us engaged. So what's really interesting about what we're building and one of our nuggets of insight of why we're building Toucan the way we, we are is from all of our experience in consumer tech, we really know the science of habit formation inside and out. And what you can see with a lot of mobile apps is they're using gamification as a way to hack your brain to opening the app again, like getting you back in, getting your eyeballs, getting time out of your day. But for us, like we know how hard that is. That is why we intentionally layer on top of existing behaviors. And for Toucan, we'll honestly be one of the first like education experiences where we're using gamification as a way to amplify learning, not necessarily as a way to hack time and hack eyeballs because we already have the time and attention there. And for us, as we're building these mini games and quizzes, we can integrate it into your browser. We don't have to send you to Toucan's website. So imagine you're scrolling on Facebook newsfeed. You see a bunch of your friends' kids' posts or of their dogs. We can overtake one of those posts and now give you a game to engage with instead. Or say you're on YouTube watching a bunch of music videos. We can detect an advertisement has started playing and now give you another mini game to engage with. So our positive spin on AdBlocker. Are you worried at all of the YouTubes and Facebooks they make their money through advertisements in terms of that they wouldn't want to can on their actual platform itself? So AdBlockers have always existed and will continue to exist. It really is user choice. So at the end of the day, like 
they've already been in existence and now we're just doing a, a separate spin on it. And I think it's actually a very interesting one versus just deleting the ad totally. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because then you can actually get the advertiser instead to actually turn what they're making into a game using your technology. And then that almost gets a relationship better because they're actually then opening up their audience to folks that would typically use ad blockers. Amazing. This is so cool. And how you're building on top of different already amazing platforms. So this is your fourth go around in terms of being CEO of a company. What were, I guess, maybe changes you made in your process when it comes to raising capital? Or was it like a similar process you run just for founders that right now are maybe currently raising? I guess, what were some of like strategies that you used in order to be successful? Yes. So I ran a pretty tight process in general, but I was very strategic in meeting with founders first, especially the first time around of fundraising. So I met with every amazing founder I could get my hands on in Los Angeles that would take some time to speak with me, really just to understand like what questions might be asked of investors and just practice how I'm talking about Toucan and allowing them to poke holes in everything just so I could get that repetition and get better and better and ask for advice, which sometimes also led to our first checks, which acted as a very good signal going into fundraising with investors. And not only a first check, but intros and warm intros to either their existing cap table investors they expect admired and respected that then I used those intros and set them out for like six weeks and started scheduling them back to back when we knew we wanted to go fundraise just so that we had the momentum once we started having these meetings to push it forward quickly. And within four weeks, we had multiple term sheets. And so it definitely did work from that strategy from our perspective. But something to keep in mind, though, for founders is like fundraising is really hard, especially having those meetings back to back because one meeting can go super well. You have all the adrenaline. They totally get your vision. Next meeting, they're telling you exactly why your company is going to fail and back and forth, back and forth. And so that emotional toll, you really have to make sure if you're going to do the strategy of the back-to-back meetings, like you can keep level head and go into each of them with the same exact energy. No, that's excellent advice. So I guess backing up to when you first said you were meeting with really operator CEOs, folks that are already built a scaling or currently building a scaling businesses, I'd imagine that also the folks that eventually signed on and did invest on in that area, even though that wasn't maybe the intention, but that really also gave you really more like an advanced head start rather than approaching traditional VCs, not to say that traditional VCs do not add value, but you really have those operating expertise maybe on your cap table. Was that part of it too? Yep. Yeah, Exactly. And also some of our old bosses. So the founder of Headspace is an investor in Toucan. The founder of Prey is an investor in Toucan, who was Sean's old boss and knew us very well as we were building within Science Incubator, different companies that we had worked at. And then also the founder of Honey. Like I've known Ryan Hudson the past seven years. I've pitched him all of these ideas that I've had. He's always been very generous with his time, but this is the first one. He was like, Taylor, this is it. Take my money, go build. But having someone like that on our cap table, not just from similar product, go to market product verticals, but also just like the recognition and that 
halo effect that we now have within us of these like top tier founders backing us at a really early stage. That makes sense why, I don't know Ryan personally at all, but it would make sense why the founder of Honey would be involved considering that Honey's also built on top. It's also a plugin. It's also built, of course, very different businesses, but the genesis of the same is that it's built on top of Google and on top of platforms, just like yourselves. Yep. And I think the same thesis that they had holds true with us too. Like, completely untapped massive distribution channel and for better or worse like investors are starting now to realize this especially with their four billion dollar acquisition but beforehand it was like very hard for them to fundraise back in the day when they first getting started and then similar for us in the sense of people were like why chrome as your go-to-market product but really as we started to explain the reasoning people's eyes started to open up no for sure so i attended kind of like a seminar with george and he was talking about his experience raising capital. And he was saying how when he was pitching to investors, they were saying, okay, fine, you're on a browser, but like well, you aren't mobile, right? Like mobile is everything and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, apps for everything. And you know, George's presumption and Ryan was that yes, but people still do like a lot of their shopping on browser and also at their computer because they want to learn, you know. I mean, obviously as well, like credit card information, that, that stuff typically you enter in. It's painful to enter credit card information. It's getting better, but it's pretty painful to enter like credit card information on mobile. But he said that was the biggest hurdle for him about that everyone wanted to be mobile, mobile, mobile. How do you think about it in terms of folks taking in digesting information, this browser versus, you know, application, I guess, battle, you could say? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a massive vision for Toucan and that naturally extends with our thesis of layering on top of existing behaviors into mobile at some point. But we still think we can build a massive business just on browser. And we can see this already through our numbers that people are browsing a lot every single day. And so there is like this perception of like, okay, what's your mobile strategy? But it really, it is like, this could be a big business just on its own. And just talking about the bigger vision for Toucan, like when we're looking at mobile, it's how do we layer on top of the most popular social apps, messaging apps, eventually browsers once extensions become available there. And then even future vision, like what is Toucan look like for audio where everyone's walking around with AirPods or voice in home, or even you're walking in the physical world and maybe you have a cooler version of Snap Spectacles or Google Glass and you're seeing a restaurant menu or a subway station sign and that's triggering micro moments of learning. So what is one thing that you would change when it came to venture capital? Well, I think that we're starting to see now that it doesn't really matter what geo you're located in. I think it's being forced because everyone's over Zoom, right? But when we had raised our first round of capital, I was flying to SF, New York, those four weeks, like back and forth to close that round because I really wanted to meet in person to build those like real relationships. But now like people are getting deals done over Zoom and we did as well for our latest round of funding. And I think that opens up the opportunity for founders across like the US, but also even globally that they might not have even been considered before of like not being in that specific tech ecosystem bubble. No, I love that. I mean, have you found it harder? This is one of the questions I actually ask almost every investor, especially during the COVID, but usually ask them, has it harder to find conviction within founders since you're meeting them over Zoom? But I wanted to, I guess, ask you the question, has it been harder to find conviction with meeting with investors over Zoom? Ooh, good question. So I very intentionally meet with investors far in advance of even us needing capital. And so when we had the idea for Toucan, I started meeting with not just pre-seed, but seed and also series A investors because 
my idea and what we think, like I intend to make my investors a lot of money and I want to make sure it's going into the hands of like really good people who are going to amplify the good work that they're doing as well. So like a hundred percent, but yes, I've been able to like kind of even figure that out over zoom, just like little things like email etiquette, like how assistants are being treated, like follow-ups and like the conversation flow back and forth as well. No, that's great. It's great. Are there any tactics that you've done since you've been raising capital or via Zoom that you have to maybe pay attention to more so than if you were to meet with an investor in person? I think that I am authentically high energy and just passionate about Toucan in general. So I think that very much comes through over Zoom, but I it's always noted by the investor, which I find really interesting because I'm wondering maybe not every founder is like bringing this type of energy passion into the meetings. And so I would almost like encourage people to be aware of like what they're putting off because if they are putting off this passion, then they can, it can be felt and received on the other side. And also just like asking questions, making it more of a conversation. I never show a pitch deck or like talk to slides or anything like that. I try to keep it natural. It's really like, relationship two way and talking about the business and how they're thinking about it as well. I love that. No, that's really great. I mean, like, for example, like I had on a uh, Connie Macabella and he said that, you know, one of the things that has been tricky, which is something that I actually struggle with is eye contact. And so he said, you know, when you're meeting with someone in person, if someone doesn't show you eye contact, and then that just might be something asymmetric or something different, that's not normal about them. But you do know that you have their full attention. That makes sense. But it's really hard when you're talking to someone over Zoom, you don't know if they're distracted, if they're also browsing, if they're whatever, or that might just be there. Something very, very simple, but that really goes a long way. So I was just curious if there was just things that maybe, you know, in person, you might have been like taken for granted that were just very simple element in terms of for connection. And maybe it'll been really, really much more tricky to do during Zoom. I really like that eye contact one because actually even over Zoom, sometimes I find myself looking at myself versus the person. So hundred percent, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I was so adamant of meeting in person every single time, because it's really hard to replicate that, but we're almost not given a choice now, you know? So just rolling with it. No, totally. So what's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? I think that... Actually, for both the professional and personal, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Extreme Ownership by Jocko. I have always been a competitive athlete my entire life, just in general. I played beach volleyball as well as indoor, went to the Junior Olympics for both, played Division One in college. And so this idea that like success or failure like lies on the leader and really feeling like you have full ownership over that has been very interesting and almost a different mindset too than a lot of people where there's failure, you're pointing fingers versus like if there's failure, especially within Tukey, I'm thinking like, okay, what did I do wrong? Where could I have improved? What could I have done to remove these blockers for other people to have helped this become a success and feeling like I am actually the one that prevented that from being a success. That's awesome. I'm also really happy that you mentioned that one because no one else previously has mentioned that book, I believe. So excited to add that to our book list. I completely agree. And I think especially, you know, in your shoes as a founder, it's incredibly important to have that extreme ownership. No, for sure. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to put on oneself, but I also take it very seriously because 
I mean, we're 11 full-time employees now. Like that is 11 salaries with people with families or responsibilities that they are in charge of. And I also have investors who right, are giving us our capital and we have to be good stewards of that money. And a lot of times these numbers of like $3 million is thought of as like little pocket change, right? But like that is a lot of money in the real world, not just in our tech ecosystem. And so for me, I take that like full responsibility and really to heart. That's really great. I absolutely agree. Because you have to be thinking about managing absolutely your stakeholders and stockholders. Last question is what's one piece of advice that you have for founders? Okay, so first thing that comes to mind is for sure, ship as early as humanly possible. With Toucan, when we had the idea, we pushed out the first version. It was so ugly. It was beautiful. And I was definitely embarrassed to show it to anyone. And the user experience was terrible. It was just 10 words. The words were so simple, like of and the. And it was a bad user experience because imagine the being translated hundreds of times on your screen. But we showed it to people at a coffee shop, complete strangers, because we did not want our friends and family to just be like, great job, everyone, you're doing so well. We wanted like ruthless feedback. And for us, that was like so valuable because we could start proving some of our hypotheses right or wrong. But even when we proved something wrong, that idea still got bigger. And we're like, okay, there's something really interesting here. I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing your example of, you know, a hundred thes on the screen. That's, that's awesome. Well, Taylor, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Mike, and also for everyone listening to me and the Toucan story. Really appreciate it. And there you have it. It was such a blast having Taylor on. Highly recommend following her at Taylor underscore Neiman. If you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe. Stay safe.